Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. You know, I've got to say that after 60 or 70 hours of in-depth career conversations on various jobs with various professionals here on Life As A, most professions tend to lean quite heavily into one particular area or topic of interest that most would associate with the profession. For example, you know, when I'm chatting with, say, a doctor, the conversation is naturally tilted towards matters relating to health and well-being issues. If I'm speaking to somebody within finance, well, the talks are kind of concerned with dollars and cents. Guests in fields of science generally produce scientific-based discussions. Now, of course, I acknowledge this is a generalization and not entirely true, but broadly speaking, I think there is something to this. However, however, my little theory was recently blown to shreds by way of this fascinating conversation with an industrial designer. You know, somebody who designs a product from scratch intended for mass production. And he was presenting his profession in a way that kind of showed me just how eclectic that line of work truly is. It kind of encompasses a bit of everything from arts, science, business, culture, and so much more. And the talk was really quite compelling and will definitely appeal to those interested in those areas, arts, design, engineering, and even manufacturing. We do kind of get into some 3D printing talk. However, even for those who are outside of those topical areas of interest, we'll still really get a lot of this talk. So let me more formally introduce you to our guest, and we can launch into it all. Ray Hortek is one of the co-founders and the creative forces behind Anomaly, an award-winning industry-disrupting product design firm. With an education in fine arts and industrial design from the Rhode Island School of Design and Strat College in Paris, France, he has leveraged that knowledge and skill across his career into becoming an award-winning creative director and industrial designer specializing in athletic innovation and wearable technology. Now, Ray has a history of creating category-defining breakthrough products and is named on various unique patents. And his work has seen him consistently create high-caliber products internally at places like Reebok and Puma. Further, he's been part of successful global product launches for corporate clients and crowdfunding campaigns for startups. Passionate about the intersection of technology, nature, and art, his work reflects much of these constructs. And the representation of these ideals, coupled with his own unique lateral thinking abilities, and of course his artistic talent in the development of original insights and the delivery of unexpected designs, has allowed him to garner much in the way of respect and award across his career. And finally, Ray is active as a design professor and is also involved in the mentoring of startups. And with all that stated, here's my conversation with Ray Horacek. Yeah, how are you doing? Good. Great to be here, Chris. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited for this conversation. I mean, uh, digging into to all of your work and what you're up to, I, I think we're primed for an interesting uh, discussion. So, you know, with that in mind, why don't we just dive right into it? I do have the, the first segment lined up. It's something called Coloring Wikipedia. And as my listeners would know, it's basically a segment where I just read off a definition of what the guest does, sometimes their industry. And I do it for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, I think it brings everybody up to speed, especially if it's, you know, a profession or an industry that people have a limited idea or understanding of. I think it's helpful in that sense. And also, too, you know, sometimes I think that based on the geographic region or maybe culture as well, the, the job title can vary from person to person, from region to region. So that twist unto itself as well, I think, makes it an interesting starting point. And uh, I have you down here for industrial design. So for the sake of the conversation, I know you're involved in creative directing as well, but maybe we could just go into uh, industrial design if that's all right. Yeah, sounds good. Sure. All right. Well, here we go. Industrial design as defined by Wikipedia. Industrial design is a process of design applied to physical products that are being manufactured by mass production. It is the creative act of determining and defining a product's form and features, which takes place in advance of the manufacture or production of the product. It can emphasize intuitive creativity or calculated scientific decision-making and often emphasizes a mix of both. 
Industrial design as an applied art most often focuses on a combination of aesthetics and user-focused considerations, but also often provides solutions for problems of form, function, physical ergonomics, marketing, brand development, sustainability, and sales. A bit of a mouthful. I did get through it without stumbling. Yeah. But first take, what do you what do you think of that though, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a uh, you know, a reasonably accurate definition. Um I think the the overall idea of being an industrial designer is really a, a matter of wearing a, a lot of hats, balancing a lot of different areas and kind of and kind of working in in a world of contrast, let's say. So I think the first thing is, you know, uh, at the core, you're, you're basically something between an artist, like a fine artist, um, an engineer, like let's say a sociologist or, or like a kind of behavioral psychologist, maybe. So you're kind of, you know, you need to know how humans work. Uh, you need to know how uh, objects work and you need to know kind of uh, the whole world of, you know, aesthetics and kind of desirability and, and that kind of stuff. So from the from the base of it for sure you know you you go to uh, art school to study industrial design you can go to a technical school as well you know usually industrial designers have more of an art uh, bent or, or or kind of a technical uh, bent or some of them for sure are kind of the more social kind of sociologist type of um, approach but it, it really is a combination of those three it's also kind of what's interesting about that definition too is it's they they kind of uh, list it as as a list, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, includes this and includes that. I, I, I kind of see it a little, a little bit like all those things sitting in contrast to one another. So I kind of think of it as like a giant spinning plate um, where you're set, kind of sitting at the center um, and, and all these things are spinning around kind of uh, in balance and um, the kind of extreme uh, extremes on both sides that are keeping everything in balance. So you have you know, things like uh, you need to balance the, the historical kind of where we came from, um, you know, what what the, the background is of what you're working on. But then with futuristic technology, you have to balance kind of the the, the artistic aesthetic approach um, with kind of the uh, manufacturability. The uh, what I think was mentioned there about creativity um, and scientific approach, which is kind of one way of thinking of it. Yeah. So one way is, is about being, being, being very expansive. And one way is about being very um, kind of focused on coming up with solutions. Next to that, you also have kind of an emotional um, versus logical thing, which is very important too. So the human um, element is is extremely emotional, but then you also need to have uh, an understanding element of the whole thing. And, and these are all, each of these is a whole kind of conversation in itself. Um, you have things like being valuable versus being, uh, feeling valuable versus being affordable, right? So you need to make something, you know, uh, that, that people can afford to buy, but then it, 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 uh, so it needs to be manufactured re relatively cheaply, but then it also needs to feel as valuable as possible. So that kind of getting, getting that balanced, right. There's physical and digital, there's sustainable and, you know, versus sustainability versus manufacturability. I, I, I think one of the, the contrasts that I think is most interesting is it, like this idea of being advanced yet acceptable. And so that was, kind of first made popular by uh, I think it was Raymond Lowy the, the kind of the father of industrial design this idea of uh, Maya M-A-Y-A most advanced yet acceptable and it's kind of this nice contrast you know this balance where you're just catching that that that, that point where it snaps between, between something that's really futuristic and really challenging to people but then still really you know kind of catching the mass uh, market of people. I like that the way you broke it down for a lot of different reasons I like that point of contrast like that's really interesting and that's something that said within this definition which is quite sterile and quite cold doesn't really sort of encapsulate that necessarily and also too i think what i was taking away from that when you were describing it all is just i felt like if i were or if anyone's in that profession at least initially it just feels like potentially you're getting pulled in all of these different directions constantly at least your mind is and i would imagine at least initially that must be a bit of a challenge to to, to kind of deal with you know like Maybe there's processes, and we're going to get into that perhaps later of how you can kind of work through some of these ideas and, and whatnot. But uh, just sort of struck me as like that would be a major challenge. And then there's one more point too that I thought was interesting was, at least stereotypically speaking, oftentimes I think people sort of have this division, say, 
you know, like, oh, this person's involved in arts and this is the type of work that they do or this is the type of the line of thinking that they go down. Okay, this person's in sciences. It's a little bit different in that sense, you know, what their interests are, how they think. But this type of job is a blending of those two worlds plus several others, which I found really quite compelling unto itself as well. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I think one of the important things is that you, you you need to keep your mind a bit plastic. And to do that, I think you need to build your mind in a plastic way. And to do that, I don't know of any way to get there um, beyond going besides going to art school, to be honest with you, basically just stretching your brain in, in every direction um, as much as possible. And kind of going back and forth between contrasts, like it's, it's like if you're in a room, you know, with like 16 different walls around and, you know, whatever shape you want to just keep pushing each wall out as far as possible at the beginning. And then the walls will slowly, as you get older, the walls will slowly start to to kind of pull back in on you. And so you have to kind of keep pushing them or punching them back out. I, I think part of it is also really about just being curious. I, I just, I think some people are, are, you know, built for this type of job. And some people are built for other types of jobs. I happen to be somebody who's, who's quite curious and I'm just, I'm constantly just having to keep myself focused on, on the, the task at hand or, you know, whatever's going on. You know, I, I kind of have finally been able to figure out my monkey brain and how to kind of keep that, you know, scratch that itch when it comes up and I give myself two minutes at a time to, if I, if there's something in my head, I need to go figure it out and, you know, right. find it on Wikipedia or something. Okay, cool. Now back to work. Yeah you know, whatever yeah. it is. I think, but that, that, that kind of natural curiosity, I think um, it can be, I don't know if it could be taught. It can be, it can be nurtured. That's a very, very important part of it. And for me, like my curiosity luckily happens to go between, you know, fine arts and science. I, I kind of have a, 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 you know, much too deep of an obsession with, with certain things into like origami. Actually, origami is the reason why I came uh, into Japan in the first place. Hmm. It just, you know, I think just getting obsessed with different things and going down rabbit holes um, because those rabbit holes uh, eventually someday somewhere will end up being useful in a project. So right. just kind of, you know, I'm I'm kind of known within my family for knowing way too many random things and turns out that there's, there's a, there's a useful. <laughs> well, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like it's serving you well though, at least within this line of work. Uh, that, that's for certain. Maybe we could shift on to do another question here. Actually, it might be an impossible one at that. But in terms of the work that you do, and I'm sure this varies project to project, but I mean, what what would be like a in a simplistic sense a day in the life of an industrial designer? What, what would take your time from you know morning to evening? I guess. Yeah, I mean, so being a, a, a very visual person, um, my my schedule um, you might imagine is a bunch of blocks of bright colors, um, and so I kind of go through each day and I plan out my coming day and sometimes my coming week or or even more kind of with blocks of colors, kind of defining what I'm planning on doing each day. And of course that includes meetings that are planned and stuff like that, deadlines for certain projects. And as I go through each day, then I kind of adjust it and, and you know, kind of see how I did basically. And and having it that kind of visual for me is really motivating um, because basically I want to focus my time as much as I can on, on the creative d- design work and, and as little as possible on emails and meetings and, you know, kind of other administrative stuff that that is not contributing to the to make a, a better more interesting you know more desirable product so yeah basically it's just uh you know a, a day does include a whole bunch of you know administrative things like emails and meetings and all that kind of stuff but you just try to just pack that pack that into small chunks as much as possible and then the rest of my day is very much connected uh, around kind of uh, a lot of drawing, um, which is both by hand and kind of on on the, the computer on the Cintiq. A lot of kind of in, uh, imagery. So basically, um, you know, getting your getting your engine going, getting your creative engine going, with kind of a whole bunch of visuals um, at the beginning of a project, at the beginning of a day, um, as you're starting a sketching session, stuff like that. And that's super important. There's a lot of uh, Adobe kind of sweet stuff. A lot of Photoshop and Illustrator. Sometimes uh, in design, then these days I'm doing a lot of 3D work. So there's a lot of uh, kind of Rhino and kind of rendering software and um, stuff like that. I'm doing computational design and kind of dabbling and getting deeper into some of those things. So, yeah, it's kind of a lot of different areas trying to focus on the creative side. Yeah, sorry. To what degree would you say like a day like that would be structured versus versus 
a little bit more loosely orientated? I mean, you'd already mentioned, of course, I mean, you try to structure it in the sense of, all right, get the administrative stuff off of the side. Okay, that's important. It has to be done. But then you want to make sure that you have enough time to be focusing on these things that you were just explaining. Yeah. But I was kind of struck by what you're saying there of, you know, it sounds like you're trying to gain inspiration for perhaps for these particular projects, you know, by viewing certain imagery or doing different types of tasks to kind of get you in that frame of mind, which is going to ultimately hopefully bring out the best of, of your abilities and, and the way you work. But I was curious, I was, as I was listening to that, like to what degree is that process structured versus it being sort of just like your mind was going off this way. Okay. You're going to go off this way. And if that's going to take an hour, that's going to take 30 minutes. It's going to take 45 minutes. So be it. Like, yeah, I'm just curious yeah. about that point. I don't know if we can hear a little sure. bit more about that or if you understand where I'm, I'm going. With yeah, that. absolutely. And, and it's, it's interesting because I do um, fine art as well. Um, that's the main thing I do outside of, out of, uh, outside of my job. You know, I think the, the difference between our art and design is something that I think about a lot and, you know, talk to people a lot and kind of listen to a lot of things. You know, there's a lot of different ways of thinking about it, but but generally art is more of a kind of an exploration. It's more of kind of a, you know, a, it, you don't have a specific goal and you're kind of going off into an unknown space, you know, like a dark room that's never been lit before. And you're trying to find, you know, you're trying to build the room, let's say, that, that no one's ever built before. And I think design is a little bit more of a uh, problem solving based situation. So you're using a lot of the same tools. But the purpose is not to discover a new room that's never been discovered before. The, the the purpose is really to solve a specific problem or a set of specific problems for for customers, consumers, and so there there is it, it's like let's say it's like uh, boundless creativity inside a very specific box, if that makes sense. Whereas art approach is just endless, open, right? This is yeah. I think that's what I was trying to get at, but I just couldn't articulate it as well. But uh, it, it's that I was thinking there must be like there has to be some degree of confines, <laughs> boundaries for what you're trying to do. Otherwise, you could just lose yourself in a project. Of course, there's deadlines, and you have to get things in for clients and everything yeah. else. But uh, yeah, I think that answers it. Yeah. And then one thing I add to that too is that you know I think it's been said that a professional is not someone who can do really high level work once or twice it's someone who can do really high level work uh, on a regular basis over and over again no matter what the situation is um and having a system like a structure to your to your kind of day your week your you know your projects how you handle things i think allows you know a creative and curious person to be able to 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 you know be able to produce in that kind of a way Maybe uh, we could take this opportunity to shift into a new uh, segment here, actually, Ray. Uh, something called Pathways. And basically, it's a segment where I just kind of dive into the guest history a little bit, their backstory, if you will. And, uh, you know, for listeners who don't know, uh, Ray is based within Japan, within Tokyo or Yokohama. Is it Yokohama? Yokohama these days, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'd be curious about what brought you to Japan. You'd already lightly mentioned a little bit about your interest, you know, in Japan early on, but then also to like, what led you to forming the company that you're, you're running right now, Anomaly? Yeah, sure. So um, let's see. So I went to um, school first in the U.S. in Rhode Island to the Rhode Island School of Design, did some studying in uh, a school in Paris, Trat College. That was for industrial design um, in, in college. It was a mix of fine arts and industrial design. I came right out of school into Reebok. Um, there was kind of a, a sign on the elevator. If, you know, anybody who wants to get your portfolio reviewed by Reebok, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, one thing led, led to the next and and uh, then I was a footwear designer. That very quickly brought me to Tokyo. They had a design studio over here in, in Daikanyama. And I was just out, fresh out of school and, you know, they're like, when can you go? I was like, tomorrow, <laughs> sure. And I was like on a plane and <laughs> like never came back. So that was, you know, really exciting. It was actually a dream of mine to always kind of visit or, or maybe potentially live in Japan. I always kind of had a super strong interest in Japan, Japanese culture. So that really was really lucky for me. I was at Reebok for a couple of years over here, um, but I was mainly working with the international kind of team there. Then I, I kind of shifted over to Puma, also within Japan. And the same deal, kind of working, you know, for the international, kind of back and forth between the um, international and the, the Japan team kind of, you know, did a, a bunch of really cool stuff, really cool projects, again, back and forth between the two, then eventually kind of moved into the innovation team in Puma. Um, and so then since then I'm, I've been kind of uh, working with the innovation team. And now at one point I, I, I left the company um, and, and became an external freelancer. 
and at the same time started a uh, design firm um, with my brother, who's a mechanical and uh, mechanical designer, mechanical engineer. And so then we we kind of are doing that in parallel to kind of me still doing work with the Puma Innovation team, and we have kind of been focusing mainly on uh, wearable technology, uh, connected hardware, IoT, uh, Internet of Things. And uh, we're also kind of getting into the world of uh, additive, manu additive manufacturing now. We're kind of having a, a startup actually uh, around that. What, what what led you to going off on your own a little bit like that with your brother and starting this company? Like, was it just uh, something, just wanting more direction yourself in terms of or more control over some of the projects or some of the things that you'd like to be working on? Was it just a drive that way or was it just like seen as a challenge? Well, you know, or, or maybe it was a client driven, perhaps even people approaching you. Yeah, maybe all of the above. I think the, the main thing I would say was uh, I, I tend to get really into things. And so uh, at some point, I, I think putting putting so much of yourself into something that, that in the end is kind of a day job that you kind of get the same amount of recognition for, um, you know, no matter what it, it was, it, it got to be frustrating sometimes you know, having said that, I still really enjoyed it, but it, after having done th something for so, for so many years, I think, you know, you kind of look for what's the next step. And I, I think, you know, I, I kind of wanted to build something on my own that, that, that I could kind of, you know, do what I wanted as I liked with it at the same time, very luckily, um, my brother was also, um, kind of in a similar position. And so, you know, we, we used to kind of just, chat about ideas back and forth um ever i mean ever since we were you know little we used to kind of make stuff together and whatever and it, you know we were kind of always giving each other advice about things and all this kind of stuff and it was just this random almost thing like one day we were, we'd happen to be sitting in a cafe um at the top of you know this huge massive building in bucharest in romania and we were just sitting there and we just looked at each other and we we're like wait a second can, should we, we together <laughs> you know yeah, yeah exactly right and yeah, we, yeah. we brought we both were working in the world of product me and design and yeah him and engineering and uh it was just it was like these these you know we started at the same place we went really really different directions and you know like the stars just pulled us back very aggressively together i guess <laughs> yeah yeah it's really cool though really cool for sure and maybe this is a good opportunity to, to let the cat out of the bag as well i mean here on life has uh we're going to be uh, actually speaking with uh with ray's brother rob in a future episode from the uh, mechanical engineering perspective of this work and uh, as ray's already insinuated i mean these two worlds do come together and work in unison to actually you know create these products that uh, a lot of us love and uh you know have interest in so yeah, might be a good opportunity to, to move on over into another segment of Q&A discovery. We can just kind of continue this back and forth. And uh, this first question here, I thought it might be a nice opportunity to, you know, while we're on the topic of learning a little bit more about your company in terms of you know, the types of products and services that you do offer and what you're involved in, and even maybe a brief overview of some of the projects and, and types of clients that you have. Yeah, sure. So I, I I guess just as a general overview of kind of, you know, what we what we do, the processes we go through. So uh, as, as as mentioned a minute ago, so, you know, Rob and I kind of run this together. Um, and so you have kind of, um, uh, you know, the, the two polar opposites, but in some ways still exactly the same type of um, thinking. And what we what we do is we focus on the, 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 the seamless um, integration of those two disciplines. So the industrial design, the kind of human factors, the aesthetics with the mechanical you know, kind of uh, the, the, all the engineering kind of mechanical design stuff, um, connection with the factories and molding and all that kind of stuff. One of the reasons why we focus so much on that, I mean, naturally, you know, he and I as brothers work really well together, but um, both he and I had experienced such frustration um, in the past when, when you're working on creating products. Um, there's there's this thing where where people like throw there's like a wall and, and the designer will throw it over a wall to the engineer and then the engineer will eventually will throw it over the wall of the factory and there's such disconnect that happens in those areas you can work you can make the best design you can draw something super beautifully and whatever have the nicest material color concept uh, and everything um but if that wall is there it, it doesn't really matter something's can, lost yeah it, it won't become reality so that's really one of the focuses for us is just to make sure that there is no, it's just a perfect blend. Um, and I, I even, you know, have gotten a lot more into the 3d side, you know, closer into the engineering side, 
you know, when you talk to him, you'll find out he he very much can go into the design, you know, kind of lateral thinking side. So that that's kind of our main, you know, kind of focus. You know, that basically the the, the overall process that it, that involves it starts with kind of looking at the like framing the problem, the design context, um, the creative direction. Then it, it which kind of is involved getting gathering inspiration and um, you know kind of understanding you know the, the the consumer, the product landscape where this product will live. There's a lot of things about uh, kind of uh, ergonomic exploration um, with 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 consumers, how people's bodies interact with products, um, how their their whether their eyes, their ears, as well. Then it goes into like uh, kind of sketching and you know my divergent exploration, and then refining that down, getting into 3D modeling and rendering, and uh, then you get into the manufacturing um, kind of element of of the whole process and and rob kind of is a lot more on that side you know kind of getting involved with the factories and suppliers and materials and all that prototyping all that kind of fun stuff so in terms of i guess the the type of products that you're working on i mean oftentimes it's it's wearable technologies correct me if i'm wrong and that's the 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 basis of a lot of the products right that you're offering and also too i understand that like the the types of people that have been utilizing this wearable technology, a lot of athletes, maybe you could, uh, you know, bring listeners up to speed a little bit on that as well, just to kind of paint this picture even a little bit more clearly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I mean, I mean, let's, let's, let's call wearable technology a big enough category to include footwear. Um, cause that, that is the, the background that I've, that I came out of and, and also, um, for, for Rob kind of where he came from. So, but we, we've had some, some really kind of good luck with that. So, on the kind of uh, sports side, uh, so Usain Bolt was was wearing a whole range of different shoes that I that I had kind of worked on. Andre de Grasse, <clears throat> excuse me, Andre de Grasse is a uh, another Olympic sprinter. Um, he I think he got the bronze. No, he got the silver. No, he got the gold in uh, something that I had designed in Tokyo Olympics, and he got the bronze along with Usain Bolt in the Olympics before that. Wow. Um, so Ricky Fowler is a, a professional golfer, Johnny Damon, professional baseball player, some other, a whole bunch of other kind of golfers as well. And on the lifestyle side, um, actually Michelle Obama was kind of photographing, photographed wearing a few of my shoes, um, kind of in the beginning of the Obama presidency, Rihanna, the singers has worn some of my shoes, a uh, whole bunch of others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the website was, uh, it was pretty interesting to see all of that. I mean, it's pretty cool. It must be pretty cool. A bit of a thrill, obviously to, you know, for anyone, I think in any line of work, I think it's human nature. You, you want a degree of, you know, respect for the work that you do. And, and it's nice. I mean, it certainly helps, you know, but, uh, not that it means that, you know, you get that from these individuals only, but all the same, I mean, the culture that we live within, sometimes these sort of things do sort of add a little bit of a boost right or wrong i guess you could say so yeah it must be must be pretty interesting for you in that sense you know sense of accomplishment at times seeing this i mean obviously that the standards are quite high for some of these individuals and uh, and whatnot and especially when it comes to some of these athletes who are actually maybe utilizing the products for training to help them in their overall success i mean that ultimately has got to be a major major uh you know thrill or, or boost or whatever, you know, where you want to attach to that. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it's, it's, I think it's important too. um, on top of that, um, if you can solve problems for the, the most extreme users of any situation, then the normal users will have no problem. Um, if, if I solve for me to run on a track, it's not going to help anybody. I promise you. But if I solve something that it was aimed bolt, then can, can use then uh, nobody else is going to really have any any trouble with it. So that that's that's exactly. one of the other reasons for for you know working or having the ability to work with with kind of uh, top top level athletes and stuff like that. Mm. So it, is is that correct me if I'm wrong? Is that a strategic sort of approach within the company? Yeah, I mean a lot of those a lot of those happened um, you know kind of uh, as part of Puma. Um, you know that that's kind of its own you know kind of monster that is you know promoting those athletes and working with those athletes anyways when rob and i are working on our kind of uh projects uh aside from that we use the same approach uh, wherever possible obviously i can't just call up any um you know world-class athlete and just you know <laughs> by the way but um you do kind of you are able to build connections and kind of get get things lined up for that as well and so you know this um this startup that we're working on 
the, the additive manufacturing startup. Um, so the first uh, the first project is uh, it's called Lore. It's a a cycling shoe, uh, a very very new approach to cycling shoes. Um, so we're kind of currently I'm not going to mention who yet, but we're currently working with some of the top triathletes and um, cyclists um, actually in the world. As long as you're able to to get those those connections, then it, it's definitely the best approach. In terms of, I guess, returning to this point, you've kind of lightly touched upon it, or we lightly spoke about it, and this notion of inspiration, I guess, kind of fueling yourself, you know, your, your creative expression. You know, oftentimes, like, well, even off the top, I mentioned, like, part of what you do is this blend of technology, of nature, art. A lot of these influences come into your work. And yeah, I'd be curious about how you go about keeping each individual silo, you know, technology, nature, and art, you know, brimming with, with this passion from within and, and where you're sourcing these ideas from. Yep. I do understand that you have a, a separate website off on the side in terms of some of your artistic expression, whether it be sculpting, whether it be, you know, other forms of artistry, painting, uh, 3D, digital design, different things. But I'd be curious to hear it from you. I mean, how do you keep yourself centered in that sense? Yeah. I think it's it's really I, I you know kind of back to the curiosity thing. I think luckily I do have a, a natural um, curiosity that's kind of uh, insatiable. So it, it sometimes it's it's almost the opposite problem. Like how do I focus on getting what needs to be done done as opposed to getting distracted and and being inspired by things. So that's kind of a good problem to have, but it's also not as you know not so easy to kind of to kind of battle with that back and forth. Having said that, um, you know the the you know, it's not an automatic thing all the time. Um, and so you do have to kind of recharge your, your creative engine. As you mentioned, you know, things, whether it's uh, art or nature or technology. So um, on the art side, I mean, just being kind of, um, luckily I'm, I'm a practicing fine artist. Um, so I do art shows. Uh, I am in an artist residency program. I do figure drawing all the time, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. I got art museums and art galleries, you know, constantly talking to artists and you know, kind of other other creative people, um, just to kind of keep that that all that you know energy and you know information up to date. With the, the the technology side, I just I just try to every time there's a new technology that that's anywhere near what I'm working on, I just try to to gobble up as much uh, information about it as possible. If it's software, I try to get in touch with it and try it out and just see how it might be um, something I can play with. Um, for me, like like technology, like software, you know, futuristic 3D software, computational stuff like that it's not any different than a pencil. I mean, a technology is technology, whether it was invented this year or, you know, 5,000 years ago and kind of playing with technology is, is kind of one of the things that I like to do. So just being involved um, and, and touching technology and the same with nature, you know, just being out in the mountains, you know, skiing and snowboarding or going to the, to the islands or, you know, my, my studio is right on a, on a river, right with the cherry blossoms, whatever it is. It's just, just, just being in touch in physical touch and, and just not being on the internet, you know, kind of searching for pictures all day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it strikes me as like lifestyle choices. A lot of this work is highly tied into that. I mean, some professions you could probably disconnect and you can have a completely separate life unto itself you know maybe you're working within business development within a big company you know and then you go off and you do your own things and there's these separate worlds that don't really matter between each other you know in terms of the influences and whatnot but it, it strikes me is that your profession almost demands that of someone who's going to be successful within it i mean fortunately for you you've mentioned a couple times over you have this innate sense of curiosity which kind of pulls you in all these different directions and pulls you into these different realms that ultimately seemingly would supply you with all this you know passion and you know information and ideas to to let that flow into your work as well but again it would seem that your line of work in particular would would almost demand this does that make sense or is that yeah, yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. Um, again, uh, some other people in the in the industry may say something slightly different. Um, I would I would guess that the people that are the strongest uh, designers are the ones who are the most passionate about it, and the ones who are the most passionate about it are the ones who, you know, uh, wake up in the morning and the first thing they think about is is you know things and you know people and how to change people's lives and how to you know how how cool something looks or you know things like that. And, and and you just spend your life like that. I mean, when I, when I met my wife, one of the first things I I told her um, was that I'm just so you know, I'm not going to retire. <laughs> Retiring would be like, you know, 
like, what are you going to retire from? What am, if, if I retired, I'm just going to do, be doing the same thing and not getting paid for it. I mean, it's just <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Well said. It's, it's pretty simple, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that blending of, of passion and work, it really, uh, it, it's a fine line or it, it doesn't even exist. I mean, that, that, that line, it is, uh, bringing both of those worlds together. Okay. People define work in different ways. For me, I, I, I finally came up with the definition of work. Um, it's something that you're getting paid to do something that you wouldn't do otherwise. And I, in that way, I, I, I like to say that I don't work so much. I get paid, but I would be doing the same thing otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's interesting you bring this up because I just had a guest on well, I just recorded with him last week, and he uh, he's a founder of a, a tech company, an interactive media company uh, based out of, of Ontario, Canada, and they've highly decorated. He's won a couple of Emmys for his work, and uh, th their work spans a few different genres, whether it's like radio, whether it's television, whether it's VR, uh, blending real world as well, a lot of different things. And uh, he said he, he, he's been in the business for about 20 years now, I think. And he had one patch where he was questioning himself, you know, like maybe it was a bit of a rough patch there about 10 years ago. And he thought, well, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I still in it for the right reasons? What, what, what am I doing here? And uh, he forced himself to sort of imagine taking himself out of this world, like what would he be doing? And then as he sort of lost himself in his thought, a lot of his ideas were just tracking back to what he's doing right now, which kind of, you know, brings us back to what you were just sharing there too. I think this is a true definition of, you know, passion and, and finding it and knowing that you have it is that like, it's a, it's a useful little exercise. I thought to, to really kind of discover who you are and what you're all about. And, uh, it perfectly illustrates it, you know, between what you've just shared and what, uh, that, that previous guest said. So, yeah. 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 All right. Well, I do want to shift over into another question here and uh, this is a bit on the business side, I suppose. And I mentioned this off the top when I was introducing you that your company has also been you know, quite active as far as nine crowdfunding launches, uh, all of which were successful and five for over $200,000. You know, maybe you could uh, shed some light a little bit on that side of the work that you do and, and your involvement in projects such as those. Yeah, those are obviously working with startups. Um, so uh, we, we do a lot of work with startups. Um, we do mentoring for startups. We've kind of been involved with kind of um, startup accelerators. This is for a number of reasons. So one is that the world is shifting and the world is becoming a very startup uh, heavy world. Um, you know, young people these days are much more likely to to either be in a startup or want to be in a startup than to say, hey, I want to be working for a big corporation for my whole life. Another thing is that the the startups are very much on the edge of everything. Um, so they, they are on the the, the 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 cutting edge of technology, thinking. I mean, these are these are usually people that have come right out of college, right? So it's kind of there's just so many ideas and so much knowledge that it, it's so much, it's so further ahead and so much faster and, and more raw. Um, than kind of what what we've experienced um, in kind of the corporations um, in our uh, in our kind of past, and also because they are younger people, because the the, the projects are usually a little bit more kind of world changing, game changing. Um, that's kind of something that that I really like to do um, to kind of be involved with. You know, like I, I don't want to spend my my all my all my life, my every every one of my days on on making the next version of something that exists. I, I would much rather. Kind of focusing on, kind of focus on, you know, changing an industry, disrupting an industry, creating a new industry that wasn't there um, beforehand, stuff like that. So that that's kind of why we we kind of really like to work with startups, and it, it gives us a lot of energy um, as well. So just the crowdfunding is just it's a great new mechanism that wasn't there, you know, twenty years ago or whatever that that allows people that don't have the kind of corporate or let's say bank backing to still be able to to create something and you know, use the power of the internet to fund it from and then bring it to and sell it to um, people all, all around the world. So it's really a really exciting space. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. And again, like in the context of this conversation, I can see how it would feed right into, you know, the cycle of what you guys are working on consistently. Again, you know, being exposed to new ways of thinking, new ideas and, and you know, getting inspiration from that, which ultimately probably feeds back into the work that you do, you know, for some of the other projects that you're directly working on for your clients. So, yeah. Which kind of leads me into my last question of this segment, really. I mean, ultimately, and I, I think I've got a beat on what where this could go, how you might answer this, but I still like to ask it anyway. It's like this line of work, ultimately, to what degree of satisfaction 
are you getting from all of this? I mean, certainly the way you've spoken about it already, it seems like it's a lifestyle thing. It's part of who you are. It defines who you are. But maybe you could share a little bit more about that. I mean, how deeply does it affect you in terms of, you know, your, your views on it all? Yeah, you mean like kind of bigger picture kind of? Yeah, yeah, bigger picture. I mean, even philosophically speaking, I mean, yeah. what, what, what does yeah. this work mean to you? The, the work that you're doing outside of, say, maybe the business side of it and, you know, generating income and keeping the business afloat and all of that, I mean, yeah. like on a more personal yeah. level. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think there is a certain element of, of kind of helping people. Uh, you know, some of the projects that I've, that I've been the most proud of are the ones that are either, you know, for, for children. We did a, a, a wearable for children that kind of tracks their health and lets their parents know that they're okay and kind of where, you know, where they are um, to a certain degree. There's, we've done some projects like health related for uh, elderly, you know, kind of a fall device for elderly and kind of a blood, uh, blood pressure tracker, you know, those kind of projects. We did a project for, uh, for epilepsy uh, sufferers, you know, like those kind of projects, I think have some of the, the stronger meaning than your kind of usual you know, help somebody run faster, which is also, you know, valuable, but it's, it's a little bit less um, world changing. Uh, we've also worked on some really, some, some projects that save lives as well. So helmets, like climbing helmets and stuff like that um, have actually saved lives. And we've gotten emails like with pictures of helmets that are cracked open. And the person was like, yeah, I walked away. I was fine. Like that, I mean, that's, that's saved someone's life. That's pretty, pretty uh, amazing kind of thing to think about. And then the last thing I, I guess I would say would be, you know, just the 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 idea, um, you know, I've done a lot of footwear. Um, and I, one of the things that I've always liked about footwear is that, you know, we are all on this earth. Everything about us has always been on this planet. You know, we've evolved on this planet, whatever. Like us as, as you know, uh, beings, individual beings, you know, are no matter what our home is, is this planet. And you are connected to this planet through your feet because of gravity. And anyone who's not walking around barefoot is connected to this planet through your footwear. And so for me, footwear has always been a, you know, it, it's just a very deeply, deeply uh, meaningful thing for, for people for that reason. But also, you know, no matter what country you go to, what economic level people are, how difficult things get, you know, again, there are people that in the world that, that, that uh, are barefoot and their, their feet evolve to be, or, you know, they not evolve, but they, they kind of develop to not need shoes and, and sandals or whatever um, at some point, but the vast majority of us do wear shoes. And even if there's a, you know, recession or depression or whatever, people still buy shoes and need shoes. It's, it's just a very, very necessary thing. Well, it sounds like there's certainly several different levels of satisfaction that you can kind of derive from it, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I can see again, not just from your answer within this question, but I think throughout this whole conversation thus far, I can see how it would be deeply, you know, moving for you and, you know, deeply fulfilling. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, maybe we could shift on into this other segment here, a middle segment, a water cooler story segment. And uh, here I just ask, you know, guests to indulge listeners with a story related to the profession. And uh, I'd love to hear what you have for us today. I guess, you know, just thinking about kind of what, what gives me the most or like different, different feelings, um, and, and about the, the profession and kind of my, my work and what I've, what I've done. I think the, the thing that, uh, that, that gives me the most excitement is when I see things that I've worked on very, very intently, um, and in, in very, very tiny detail, you know, every millimeter of, of everything, you know, we've been through, we've kind of adjusted, negotiated, you know, kind of shifted, you know, if it's in like a smart watch, you're kind of, you know, moving things around, you know, by 0.1, 0.2 millimeters, you know, you, you've gone through like, you know, could be three, could be six, could be 10 rounds of samples, you've adjusted, you've moved lines, you've changed textures, you've, you know, changed, you know, the leather, you've changed like the, 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 the construction of something, you've tried it on yourself, you've tried it on other people. Having gone through so much what's really interesting about this kind of mass production uh, that we're designing for is that it's something that i know so intently and so personally that then gets let's say multiplied and copied and you know spread across the world to every country you can imagine and that those people then can be experiencing the same product but in a completely different way some people will look at it at that same level of like oh my god look at this you know 0.3 millimeters for sure there's people that go, they take it apart and they kind of look at it at that level. Some people will just look at it like, yeah, this is really cool. I like it. It just looks cool. Some people will be like, this is the best fitting thing I've ever felt. Some people will 
perform better from it. You know, some people will be able to do new things, you know, um, you know, with like, we've done like smartwatches. My favorite one we did was, was for musicians. And for that one, like it really helps them to learn their craft better and, and, and perform better and, and practice better, like all that kind of stuff. Just this, this idea of something that's so personal yet so universal. It's just so exciting to me. And when I see uh, things on shelves, if I see it on athletes if i see it on you know just normal users on instagram or whatever just it's just it's just really really exciting and fun for me yeah yeah i love that i mean that's not a perspective i've really heard before i guess i mean off the top when i was introducing you i was kind of lightly sort of touching on topics such as that but i didn't certainly go into it at that level of depth and it's really you know really quite interesting i mean socially as well culturally all these different things how the meaning of one particular product can go in so many different directions. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I, I guess as a designer or someone who's so intimately involved in the creation of something like that to see, you know, that sort of result or to, even for you, maybe at times being surprised by how it's being interpreted or how it's being used, even perhaps taking on a different life of its own. It must be really interesting and quite compelling to, to, to see all these things unfold, you know, how people, you know, take ownership of these products in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's where it gets into culture as well, because, you know, I mean, culture is really a, a collection of what all these different people have kind of added added to it. And it, it, it kind of develops itself as its own kind of uh, mechanism. Um, and to be kind of part of creating culture, like, you know, some like a thousand years from now, if people look back until this time, they're going to they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be looking at us you know, they'll see photographs and stuff, but they'll, they still will be able to have this product that was made at that time. They'll have the architecture that was made at that time, stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Well, maybe we could slide into this last segment here, right? Something called a crystal ball segment. And as the name implies, we're looking towards the future trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And uh, I'd be curious to hear a little bit, you know, about the evolution of your work, perhaps, you know, from a technological perspective, certainly there's been a lot in terms of 3D printing that, you know, came out several years ago. And at that time, oh, this is going to revolutionize everything. And probably in some ways it has. But also right now, we're on the precipice of AI and everything that's going on with that. I mean, that's certainly a topic of conversation. But uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on, on things when it comes to technology and, you know, your profession and how it's evolving, how it's moving forward. Yeah. I mean, one one thing that, I, that I'll mention just in general, and I heard this somewhere, that today's luxury is tomorrow's commodity very much applies to kind of the the, the profession that I'm in. Um, basically, our our job or, or what we aim to do is to create um, uh, luxury, meaning like a higher level or a more advanced level uh, of, of anything that you have in your life. And as a product designer, you're touching really everything that, that a person would be touching in their everyday life. And, you know, the, the iPhone, for example, was something that, that when it came out, it was like, what the heck is that? You know, like people just blew people's minds, but how many people do you know now that don't have a smartphone? It's a commodity. This is kind of the, the general cycle of things. And the same thing goes with, with, you know, uh, as I was talking about footwear, the different technologies and footwear, like the, the, the normal, like cheapest, you know, uh, sneaker you can buy today, you know, 40 years ago was, was the peak of technology. So I, I think it's it's just this constant. It, it's like you're constantly going up a hill that's constantly just sinking. So you're we're always in the same place, but it's just we're always climbing and it's always getting better. Um, you know, is is are people's lives always getting better? Is a different question because that's a kind of a different set of things. But in terms of the technology, as you were just mentioning, you know, kind of where we are currently um, and kind of where we're going, as as you say, three D printing, additive manufacturing. Um, is a really big deal. It's been a very, it's been talked about for a long time. It's kind of slower to come than people were were kind of planning on. But as we talked about earlier, I mean, we're now part of a startup that is focusing completely on additive manufacturing and kind of custom fit products based on scans for a certain, uh, for a person's foot. So this is, you know, it's, uh, and, and we are making it right now. This is, this is, this is happening. And we're not the only ones for sure. I mean, there's other, lots of other companies doing the same thing. Um, there's a lot of other technologies, as you mentioned, AI. I mean, I've, I've already been using AI as a, as a tool in design. It's, it's a very helpful tool. People are worried it's going to take over and replace jobs. Some jobs will be replaced, but it's also the same as when Photoshop came out, the same as when the camera came out, you know, it's, it's going to create a lot more opportunities than it is um, going to, to replace. And, 
you know, I think the people that embrace that or any other technology um, are the ones who will be in a better position. So I, you know, I, yeah, I think we should just keep embracing every, every technological step, make the best thing, you know, make the, the most um, considered refined uh, solution to a given problem with the technology at that time, and then move on and do it again five years from now and with a different technology. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's nice to point that out. I think it's that, that bigger perspective on it all. And uh, yeah, certainly with, with both the 3D printing and AI, perfect examples of that. Returning really quickly to the 3D printing, I think I was struck by this thought of, you know, when you said, I think initially when it came out, people had these expectations for it to like blow up the world overnight. And maybe it sounds like right now, like the capabilities were certainly there, but maybe the other technologies that were needed to leverage the 3D printing itself or that technology weren't fully developed. And maybe now it sounds like at least within your startup, perhaps maybe things are catching up. I don't know if that's an accurate assessment or not, but. Yeah, I would say um, because we're, we're talking about an industry, we're talking about manufacturing, we're talking about something that, you know, the industrial revolution, the second industrial revolution. I mean, these are things that that didn't happen in two years, five years, 10 iterations, years. iterations, iterations, yeah. you know, this is something that's, it took forever. And the same thing, you know, with, with any of the, the current technologies, um, AI is actually moving a bit quicker, but like anything physical, 3d printing added manufacturing, it's, it's the whole industry. So it's not just the fact that we can make these objects out of a 3d printer. It's, it really is, it comes down to the materials um, and the materials. It, it's taken a long time to develop the materials to the point where they're, not only buildable um, in that material, but then they're actually usable over a long period of time. They're not going to break down. They're not going to turn yellow. Um, you know that they're they're reasonably affordable. They can be done at scale. You know, with the the right machines or collections of machines, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's really the the ecosystem around the technology, which is slower than the technology itself. Yeah, yeah, that was a word I was I was reaching for. I think there, but uh, yeah. Really, really interesting stuff. And certainly with AI right now, too, as well, the point that you raise of people getting a little bit uneasy with that. But I, yeah, I, w- I would tend to agree with you. I think, you know, as far as AI goes, if anything, like you said, it's going to create more opportunities. But beyond that, you know, more possibilities, different types of jobs, perhaps, of guiding AI along, you know, or directing it towards this or towards that or steering it this way or that way. I mean, it's going to create a, a series of different types of jobs. So there's, there's certainly going to be opportunities there, uh, no doubt. But I mean, within the context of this conversation, uh, you know, I can't believe we're approaching an hour already here and it feels like we just got started and there's so many more questions I would love to ask, but I am conscious of your time. And uh, I've got to say, Ray, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation, but uh, maybe we can draw it to a close here. I enjoyed it as well. I'm happy to uh, talk to you and, and chat about something that I'm obviously uh, very, very excited about and interested in. Well, for those interested in learning more about Ray and his work or his company, Anomaly, you can check him out on LinkedIn or at his company website, Anomaly.com. It's A-N-A-M-A-L-Y.com. Or, of course, on their socials, of which I'll have the links within the show notes. And also, too, if I mean, if you like today's show, please be sure to share. It helps a ton. You can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. And head on over to YouTube. I do have a channel over there. You can check out video conversation. And finally, don't forget to tune in to the next episode of Life as a where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them i'm your host christopher schoenwald until next time stay curious about life and living